This episode of Inside the Goblin Universe brought to you by SeatsLink.com, the complete ticket experience. Use promo code GOBLINS with your purchase. SeatsLink.com. Hello, my name is Kerry Trent Haggard, writer and host of Wheels of the Past and author of the novel Traveler. You are listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Goblin Universe. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. That's funny. My name's Ronald Murphy. No, I'm actually Sir Brian Bowden. How are you doing, Ron? How's it been going for you? Everything is going well. It is springtime, but we have snow outside. However, (laughs) however, I hear this Friday, the temperature might reach a uh, a respectable seventy degrees. Let's let's hope that happens. You know, it's it's bikini weather. It's like Narnia around here. It's winter, but never Christmas. (laughs) Narnia. Uh, That's great. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what it's like. Um, and as you know, somebody that deals with the paranormal, I, I cannot in my, you know, I'm 49 years old. I cannot in my memory remember in April this cold where I still have to, you know, get, get snow off of my car before I go to work in the morning. Actually, to give you an example, my doors were, were frozen shut. So I had to unfreeze them before I, before I went in today. So I'm hoping <laughs> that that nonsense is behind us. Uh, you know, baseball was well into the season. Oh, yeah. The Pirates have won again. They are, they've only lost two games. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the things that are coming. Conference season will be on us soon. Right around uh, the corner. And right around the corner. And uh, I, I just found out that uh, this gentleman who we're going to have next will actually be attending the Pittsburgh MUFON Conference, mm. which is going to be held about eight miles from my door where I'm talking at right this very second. So I think <laughs> I'm going to be able to see this guy in person come the fall time. But uh, I hope our paths cross sometime a lot sooner because he sounds like an interesting guy. I just finished his uh, his novel. It's called Traveler. Uh, so without further ado, let us introduce introduce Carrie Trent Haggard to the show. Mr. Carrie ha- Trent Haggard, how are you doing, my friend? Very good. Excited to be on your show tonight. Thank you. Uh, we are excited to have you. Now, you are actually calling, well, you're actually talking to us right now from Western Pennsylvania yourself, but the accent is not your typical Pittsburgh accent, so I'm assuming <laughs> you're from someplace else. Yeah, I was born and raised in a little town in Georgia called Commerce between Atlanta and Greenville, South Carolina, just off I-85. Right, so you're inland then, correct? Correct. All right, but you know what? We had a uh, guest on our show just uh, about a month ago now, uh, and he was doing some research uh, in your neck of the woods down in uh, Georgia uh, concerning some mystery lights that were uh, in the area. So you have a background in very strange things that happen in uh, rural Georgia, don't you? Yeah, I I had an incident there in my childhood when I was like nine, ten years old that made me a firm believer in the enigma of UFOs. And that, you know, that incident was one of the reasons, one of the interests that I had in doing this novel. Um, not the only one, but it certainly, uh, it certainly sparked a lot of the interest in it. And what was going on? Well, it was 1973. And actually, if you look back now, there, um, 
it's called the Great UFO Wave of 1973. They were they were reports all over the country, and they were uh, a lot in Georgia. Uh, UFO was supposedly touched down in Danielsville, Georgia, which is 12 miles from where I live. There was coverage on the Atlanta News. Three reporters out of Atlanta had captured uh, some uh, flying saucers going through the air. Really good video. It was in all the newspapers. It was a big deal. Anyway, my my father uh, worked for the uh, local police department for 19 years. Uh, even before he started there, he was a big fan of the going zone. He had a realistic brand uh, scanner beside his chair that ran day and night. Uh, there'd been reports for weeks. And again, I was nine years old. There'd been reports for weeks of, uh, low flying, uh, mysterious craft in the area. And then one night about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, uh, the lines at the police department went crazy. There were calls from residents who had saw a flaming object land at the medical center clinic parking lot. Now the medical center clinic was adjacent to the commerce hospital and it was the same uh, complex that my mother worked at as an LPN. So I begged her, I was like, oh my God, we got to go see this. So uh, we jumped in her 1969 green unpaneled station wagon and went tearing off over there. Uh, when we got there, there was one fire truck, two police cars, and probably a uh, half dozen other you know, just peoples that had heard it on the uh, heard it on the radio there too. And there was no flying saucer in the parking lot, but there was something very strange. And this is not something you read in the magazine or saw on a video. This is I saw this with my own two eyes. It's the clearest memory of my childhood. There was a large 30-foot-in-diameter smoking circle in the corner of the parking lot. I mean, this thing was, was smoking in the night air, and all around it were drips of molten metal that looked like silver or lead or some kind of shiny something that had melted down into the asphalt. Uh, the kicker is, the very next day, people from all over the county were, had heard what had happened. They were coming over. They were looking at it. There was, there was people all around because we went back over there. And uh, so everybody was over there checking out this big burnt circle. The very next night, on a Sunday morning, like in the middle of the night, a asphalt crew moved in and repaid that entire parking lot to cover it up. Wow. On, on, a, on a Sunday on a Sunday morning in the Bible Belt South, yep. where every Christian sinner is going to church, by the time they got out of church, uh, that parking lot had been repaid. Wow, that's <laughs> absolutely incredible story. Now, you're talking about 1973. You know, people will have to think that the idea of having digital cameras with you and cell phones and all that stuff... That was, uh, that, you know, that's 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 the future. That, you're yep. talking about science fiction at that point, because I remember as a child in the in the 1970s investigating, and nobody ever took a camera with us. And if we did take a camera, it was one of those 110 cameras that were garbage, anyways. You couldn't tell perspective or anything. Yeah. But you know how times have changed, and uh, I think 
that whenever we talk about visitations and experiences, it seems that they are changing with the technology as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, which I'm so fascinated by the book, The Traveler, right. the Traveler, is because whenever you think about the technology at the time that this happened, um, we are talking about uh, kind of like the old West, aren't we? This, this is this is the wild, wild. I mean, you're. Th- I'm talking. You know, you you, you got the Billy the Kid era. For the most part, I mean, they couldn't even, you know, this is what's incredible about this story. I've heard about this story, uh, uh, Carrie, years, for years. Um, And it's not always talked about, actually. It's one of those hidden gems that are out there uh, regarding UFOs and aliens and uh, an experience. And it still fascinates me to this day. It is. It it actually fascinates the state of Texas because they even have a a memorial up, you know, a a state-approved memorial up there at the site. Oh, yeah. They have an official monument from the state of Texas that recalls the legend of a uh, pre-1900s astronaut that crashed and was buried in that cemetery. You know, and, yeah, you're talking about all the adults of that time. They just... They lived through the Civil War. Yeah, that's right. It was a, it was a down time in American history. They wasn't. It wasn't. You know, the fastest mode of transportation was the railroad that clacked along at about forty miles an hour. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, I, you know, I'll tell you what. If there's if there's a way, let let have you go into the background and history of this for our listeners who are unaware of what took place. I think I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, what year was this, first of all? Well, it was 1897. And according to my research, that uh, here's, here's, I'll give you my synopsis. Uh, according to all the research that I did, and a lot of that came from Jim Mars, uh, who lived in the area and researched it. And actually, I was lucky enough to get to speak to about a year and a half ago, uh, who's dead now. And uh, he was thrilled that I was... Uh, writing this novel about this particular story because it was it's one of the greatest UFO stories in American history that's been forgotten. Here's the synopsis. Early in the morning, 5.55 a.m., April 17, 1897, a single alien craft clipped the edge of a fast-moving windmill and slammed into the water tower of Aurora, Texas. The craft exploded as well as the water tower and rained down on this judge. A judge named Proctor had a little flower garden built beneath the uh, the windmill and the water tower that obviously was the main supply of uh, water for the town. So the little alien crashed in the in the flower garden. Uh, you know, the explosion woke up a lot of the residents who went running out to see what had happened. They get out there and, uh, you know, they're just amazed because they know that this little guy is not of this world. I mean, they don't know really what he is or who he is or where he's from, but they know that this, uh, one, machines don't fly. And two, this little critter didn't look anything like anything they had ever seen in their lives. So, um, you know, I, I... That's basically the story. 
the the historical part of the story. They buried him in the local cemetery because they didn't have they didn't know anything else to do for him. So they did what they felt was their moral duty was to give him a Christian burial. That's what I was going to say. Good Christian people making sure that you know whatever living being this is, his soul can go on to eternity. Yeah, this makes perfect sense. Yes, well, it yes. does, but it doesn't. Yeah. But. Oh. yeah, it does. So when I wrote the novel. The, the novel is a twofold story. Part of it takes place in 1897 and is taken from the historical events. Now, I tried to think how the people would react, what they would say, what they would do, how they would rope up this craft out of the mud hole where it landed and drag it to the livery stable, uh, what they would do with him, would the doctor examine him and try to figure out what's going on. Uh, would they would they put him in a homemade casket and put him on the boardwalk and do photographs like they did so many of the outlaws back then because that was common practice at the time. Um, so I tried to incorporate how they may think, how they may feel, and how they may react. Uh, the other part of the story is totally fictional. It's based in 1997. And you have this cute little reporter girl from Gainesville, Texas. Her name's Bonnie Reynolds. She stumbles across this 100-year-old article about a craft that crashed in Aurora, which is like 50 miles away from Gainesville, and takes it into her editor. Well, he gets all excited, uh, sends her over to do some research on the thing and try to find out where he's buried. And, of course, she stirs up all kinds of trouble, asking questions, and the story just goes on from there. Fascinating. Fascinating. See, uh, whenever I started to read your book, uh, the other thing is it has these really cool little illustrations in it as well, too, uh, which I absolutely loved. It looked like you were reading um, the uh, contemporary newspaper article of it because it looked like something from a newspaper. Um, but it reads very much like a an account, a newspaper account of what occurred. You flesh out these details that were there, uh, and you made it into a very realistic sounding event i i as a reader i have no doubt that you know that something happened there okay um now as somebody that's logical look you said this is a from a scientific perspective uh and you know you will have to definitely ask you this question <laughs> what do you think happened what do you think happened there in aurora what do you because at this time we did have uh, lighter than air aircraft, like uh, hot air balloons, but that was it. So, I mean, is it possible that a hot air balloon could have hit into this? Uh, what do you think was going on? Well, first of all, let me give a little credit to my illustrator because he did a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Me and my camera, did yep, beautiful. Yeah, me, and my, me and my camera crew had been down to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, to do a episode of Wheels of the Past on the uh, original surviving 58 Plymouth Fury that was used in John Carpenter's Christine. Ooh. While we were there, we were at a, uh, a like a sci-fi con, horror con down there, and um, I ran to this guy's name's Eric Yates, and he was he did illustrations and paintings and drawings, and I said, and I basically said, hey, I'm writing a book. 
Uh, it's about the Aurora, Texas alien crash, which he was familiar with. And I said, I need an illustrator. And he went from there and he came up with some of the most wonderful works. And I inserted them at places in the book where it, you literally are watching the story unfold. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and what I loved about it, they're, they're, like when you mentioned what they used to do to uh, some of the, the outlaws there and, and displaying the bodies of the, of, of the outlaws for all the public to see them dead, you know, as a, as a warning to them. Um, there's a couple of photos that, you know, uh, of the alien there. <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, it's, and it's, that, it's actually very well done. I, I, I can't, you know, stress it enough how well done it is just on the illustration point really brings the point uh, home to the, the people that are reading it. Yeah, and the writing well, was excellent too. I, I oh, will yes. tell you that. I, I, the, the writing is one of those things where... Um, you do. I mean, we, we interview a lot of authors on on our show, and we're very proud and flattered that we do do that because I, you know, I'm a big fan of literature. Brian's a big fan of literature, um, and what your style of writing reminded me of uh, is we had Steve Alton on the program a, a few months ago talking about the movie that's coming out based upon his uh, book called uh, Meg, Meg. Uh, and um, you are the type of person that will take an historical uh, account. And you will fictionalize it, which a lot of these guys do. Michael Crichton has done that. And you make it quite enjoyable. But at the end of the day, the reader learns something. And, and I, I do applaud you for that. You did right. a great job with it, my Th friend. That blend is incredible. And I think they call it uh, faction now. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult to do as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, very difficult to do, and you did it quite well. And um, actually, I was kicking myself to think, why didn't I do something <laughs> about Aurora? Because it, it is great. I, I mean – the Cowboys, you know, that's one of the, the greatest times whenever you think of, you know, like on TV, we have Westworld and everything. And now we insert a UFO crash into this. Now, another thing before you came onto the show there, uh, uh, Carrie, is that um, Brian and I were uh, talking about how we were going to approach the show. And we found something very, very interesting yes, about that did. particular area. Um, where this crash uh, was said to occur is not very far from where the Marfa lights are to this very day. These these lights that you know people have assigned to Earth energies, to UFOs mm -hmm. and what have you. And it's also very close to... Well, it's in it, not very. Go ahead, Brian. Go tell us. It's super close. It's on the on almost the same parallel as uh, Roswell. Um, yep. So it, it's very interesting, though. Uh, long before Roswell, um, I don't know if Roswell was affected by this. That there was a supposed crash here, an alien being being buried in Texas, um, and it happens on basically. I mean, we're talking about not that much a distance between uh, the parallels that would be go to uh, Roswell and, and where it happened in Aurora. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of uh, interesting. It's almost like a triangle. Oh. And I'm trying to figure out, you know where uh, Stevensville, Texas is as well. I mean, they have a ton of UFO uh, incidents down there. And it's almost like the uh, UFO triangle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 They have a lot of activity down there. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, uh, Aurora was 50 years before... Roswell. Right. Right. So are they coming to that particular area for a reason? Yes. You know, uh, what what might be going on in that very, very uh, uh, fertile area for UFO research? Yeah, you know, I, I that is part of the 
I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, why they're doing. I know there seem to be certain years that uh, there's much more activity than others. But uh, anyway, and getting back to the question that you asked me, what do I think happened in Aurora? I think pretty much what happened in Aurora is exactly the way I wrote it. Uh, this little this little alien craft got out of control, whether he was caught in a windstorm, got struck by lightning, whatever. But he lost control and crashed, and these, uh, these good people of the time just did what they could do for him, which wasn't much. And then uh, they drugged what was left of the craft away after a while and dumped it down a well. Yep. And and wouldn't it be wonderful to actually, in current times, get out into this area and find those pieces of that craft? But I'm almost positive that once the craft uh, crashed in Roswell, I'm sure the military has been all over this by now. Yeah, you know, um, they, they, they sent a team out there to, uh, to uncover that well, one of these alien agenda shows on TV. They went out there and they uncovered the well and they went down in it and, you know, it's, it's full of snakes and, uh, you know, so, so I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got down in there looking for it. But, oh, uh, I, I, neither would I. I'm not saying I want to go into the well, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit, you know, they have the bad snakes in Texas, uh, the, you know, the nice sized rattlers that, that leave a, a very painful mark. Yeah. Uh, cotton mouths. Oh, I, I can oh, just yeah. imagine. I, I, I don't. I don't want no part of none of that. <laughs> no, no, no. I would rather deal with an alien. I'd rather deal with the alien than a snake. Especially yeah, a definitely. poison snake. That's Any right. Any kind of snake. That's right. Um, now, uh, see, again, going back to this alien, because you actually describe him in very endearing terms, you know, because he is kind of a cute little guy. And, and the townsfolk see him as a rather, you know, uh, uh, how would you say, a very... Uh, unthreatening type of creature um so in your personal opinion you think that they're visiting us solely for uh you know scientific purposes observational purposes or or you know in in your mind and you have a, a great imagination what do you think the reasoning behind these alien visitations are well the guys that i've talked to since i started doing this we we've had this little conversation a couple times and they believe and it it makes sense to me too in the reports that have been coming down for the decades. Uh, there's two different kinds. There's the little grays that are just sort of docile that maybe are just uh, exploring and researching more than anything. And then you have these taller, thin uh, aliens that are uh, that are not quite so nice that do these experimentations and. Uh, uh, they have a they have a uh, more sinister agenda, right, 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 right. And then the you know then you have those the the reptilian kinds and and the, the praying mantis. I mean, the, these are pretty scary, uh, imposing uh, creatures that that are possibly coming and visiting us from uh, from a different galaxy, different planet, and different system. But yeah, you, you know it it has you know the, the alien does have a I'm not going to say an ET quality, but it's it's you know the townspeople seem to. Um, been taken with it or taken by it. And, and you know, what's the other thing? I'm glad you brought that up, uh, uh, Brian, is because I would like to hang out with these townspeople for a while, wouldn't you? These are good, common, God-fearing folk that you would like to have a glass of lemonade and uh, 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 a fried chicken dinner with on a Sunday. Yeah, and, you know, even, even 100 years later, 
when they were interviewing them, the, 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 the people were more or less the same. And uh, I know Jim Mars and uh, a lot of that gang in the, in the, in the mid-70s, they were trying to find some of these old-timers to find out what their take on it was. And uh, about half of them said, yep, they remember it. They were little kids. Uh, their mom wouldn't let them, or their dad wouldn't let them go into town, but they came back and said, uh, said this flying uh, spacecraft crashed. Others said, no, they made all that shit up. It was just a <laughs> hoax to try to save, yeah, to try to save a dying town. I sort of have trouble with that theory. Um, Aurora was in really bad shape. It, uh, part of the town had uh, caught fire and burned down. They'd had a spotted fever epidemic, which killed about a third of the people. Uh, the the, the, the bow weevils had uh, eat up their, their cotton crops, and the railroad had skirted them to uh, about 20 miles to a different direction. So they were in bad shape. But I don't see how coming up with a crashed alien story is supposed to save a little town in 1897. There's not... Yep people from all over the country and the world going to flock out there like they would today to see that. Um, I just don't see how it would have benefited them. Right. In this day and age, um, we hear about a crash and his recovered body. It, that town's flooded. I mean, that's a moneymaker, guaranteed moneymaker. But you're talking about a period in time, the 1870s. I mean, 1890s. Pe- people don't know about aliens. <laughs> they don't know about um They've probably seen things in the sky they can't explain, but they're not going to talk to anybody about it. It's a, it's a different type of pride. Um, but the fact that this little creature, um, I'm sure they had wee people, you know, um, midgets and dwarfs in the area, but this had a definitely a different look and take on it. And I could just imagine what it was like to be in that local church when, when the, all the town was there and, and the discussion that was taking place, especially what the minister was asked. I mean, this is something that, they would probably keep more under wraps than than try to profit from. I don't see. I, I don't see how they can profit from this. That's why I have a problem no. with the hoax theory. You know. Yeah, the hoax theory doesn't make sense. And Aurora was not the first a- event that uh, that went on during that time period. There were dozens, hundreds, I think, actually, of uh, uh, sightings and certificates of sightings where people wrote down these events following the Civil War. There was a UFO that exploded over a cotton gin in, I think, 1871. Really? Um, yeah. And there were, I, I did a lot of research, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of UFO sightings of close encounters. Of I mean, one guy in his horse and wagon came across three little beings in the road with... Uh, or, uh, breath machines on that their craft was hovering behind them above a lake and he tried to talk to them they couldn't talk to him and they took off back to their craft and it took off I mean there's hundreds and hundreds of sightings um, documented through the 1870s 80s and 90s so this, this was Aurora just happened to be the one that the little guy crashed and they buried him in the cemetery. It certainly wasn't an isolated incident as far as UFOs. And, and that's a great premise for another book for me. 
going through and documenting yeah. all these little i mean i i know i know that you, you you're you're dealing with with uh, cars and hot rods and fixing them up uh but you know keeping keeping you know tra- traveler to a diary of uh of uh experiences just think about that well well i hope i hope traveler is a success i hope that everybody that reads it really enjoys it and i certainly hope that i can make uh a nice little movie out of it because that was the intent all along. The screenplay for Traveler yes. was written way before the novel was. And uh, and actually, my next screenplay, if this one takes off, is about a uh, haunted house in Circleville, Ohio, that I stayed at in uh, for a week in 1994. Wow. <laughs> oh, we definitely got... You're going to become the master of suspense and, and just a paranormal master as, as far as the movies are concerned. That's incredible. I mean, this, this, as soon as I started reading this and when I got introduced to you, and I want to thank Philip Mantle for at Flying Disc Press for introducing us, um, which I thank you again, Philip. Um, but I mean, I, this had movie written all over it the minute I started reading it. The minute I was like, okay, I'm waiting for this movie to come out and it's going to blow Cowboys and Aliens, uh, that movie, out the door. Oh, I loved Cowboys and Aliens. I bet I watched oh, it yeah. 50 times while I was writing <laughs> this book just to get the feel for it. And Philip Mantle, yes, he's been so good to me. Uh, Flying Disc Press over in England. Uh, I sent him, uh, I was trying, I, I talked to No No Torres, who has written several books on uh, early UFOs, and he said he didn't publish books anymore, but then he sent me over to Philip, and Philip read the introduction and said, if the rest of that book reads as good as your introduction, <laughs> I would love to publish. That's what he said. He yep. said, if the rest of your book reads as good as your introduction, I would love to publish your book. It's always good and to have a good like, introduction. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, we we, we, we uh, made it available to the public uh, March the 28th. And uh, this is actually my fifth uh, show interview. And uh, so now I'm starting to get the hang of it. So uh, it's it's doing pretty good. So yeah, I I hope that uh, I hope that everybody that reads it enjoys it. And I certainly hope I can find somebody that's interested in what's doing a movie with it. <laughs> I I think you're definitely going to find uh, people interested in, in in getting this on on the silver screen. This this has summer blockbuster written all over it. One hundred percent. Um, heck, if I had the money, I'd, I'd put this movie out. <laughs> um, I don't know what, what role you want to play in there, sir, but we'll put everybody in it. Um, so it, knowing that you, you, know, you did stuff with uh, Johnny Dale Cochran as well, it, it, how, what was his experience? If you, if, I know he's not present right now, but can you speak on some of the experiences he had that, that led to you guys saying, hey, let's write this book, let's write this screenplay? Yeah, I'll tell you, Cochran is one of my best friends in the whole wide world. He's like a brother that I never had. And uh, he has some of the craziest stories from his past that you have ever heard. The uh, In the book, the, uh, the two boys out spotlighting that stop and throw the uh, cross tie out for the game warden to crash his truck on, they did that. Oh, yeah, the, <laughs> that's uh, a great the, scene. That, they did that. That him and his cousin Shannon Ray, who his cousin actually is Shannon Ray, who lives down in Florida now, who uh, who uh, ran around with Cochran back when they were teenagers, doing all this craziness. The uh, homemade hand grenade that 
accidentally wound up in the chicken coop and killed all the chickens. <laughs> That's a story from their past. Um, yeah. The outlaw biker that comes in at the end, I'm not going to say what he does, but he comes in and helps clean up a mess. That Toombs character is based on Johnny Cochran later in his life. His, his uh, biker name is Toombs. And so it, Johnny was so instrumental in making this book come to life. He told me about Texas and the description and uh, the Denny Choke character that played the game warden, the great big red-faced, red-haired game warden, was a, bless his heart, he's dead now, but he was a real person that Cochran knew well. And so between me and him and the story of the Aurora alien, we really weaved all this into over about a two-year period into the story that it is. And and what what I find fascinating is is that how well it's weaved. I mean, you've got to understand some every, all the all the goblins that are listening and everybody listening to this show. You know the way you guys put together this this novel, and the way you you put together the historical background of of Ezekiel uh, and and the painting of the Virgin Mary with the guy in the back looking up at the spacecraft i mean it it you're reading it and you're like if you don't know better you're like this is a real book right this is real this took you know yeah. all this took place and then mm-hmm. but if if you're an experienced researcher like Ron my, and myself are it still catches a little bit off guard, but I love that. It, it's 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 a good feeling. They don't have that anymore in a lot of these books. Too many people are trying to sell you something, and That's I was right. trying to get with you with, with Traveler. I got involved and I got immersed in the story, and I mm. I can't thank you enough. It, it was such a refreshing read. Yeah, yeah. What I liked about it too, and from the way I write, my perspective is I always do a historical perspective and show the chronology of the way these types of thoughts develop over the centuries, and that's basically what we're getting in your book as well too. You know, we're starting out from the Bible, we're moving up to the Renaissance, and then all of a sudden we're in the 1800s in Texas, and it shows that there's this continuity. Something has been going on to humanity involving flying discs in the sky with a passenger for three or four thousand years at least at least you know as at least as far as recorded time you can look at you know some of the earliest uh, uh, pieces of literature and there's something involving an unexplained unidentified object in the sky um, and you show that the Aurora incident actually fits in the chronology of all these other strange events that's happened throughout history and I, and I, and I enjoy yeah. that. Well, good. I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I didn't uh, put a bunch of nonsense in the book. I didn't put a lot of uh, 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 guns and violence and, uh, you know, all this craziness and explosions and all that. You know, I, I, I made it a real tale. I made it where it, I wanted it to read like this could really happen. And without a whole bunch of hysteria, and uh, you know, most UFO movies are based on hysteria. Uh, the hysterical population scared to death, and you know, and all this. This is not like that. I, I, I try. I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. 
That's right. Yeah, this could have very easily become uh, World of the Worlds in, you know, 1897. It could have easily have come to that, you know. Uh, and, and I respect you for not doing that. I respect you for staying true uh, to the uh, to the case files that, you know, that the scant little documentation we have uh, from this particular event because it could have seriously veered off rather quickly and become something sensationalistic and something tabloid. And probably a lot of people would have liked to have read that, but I, I like I said, I, I I do congratulate you on keeping true to the uh, to the text and, and the history that happened. And and what what to go on that, Carrie? Um, what I also love the fact is with through your research, you you show and you bring to life the reality of of a lot of people down in Texas and in Middle America, um, which are the salt of the earth. These people are genuine. Um, they're 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 more so than anybody else trustworthy they have pride and they know how to handle stuff um in today's day and age um i don't know what would happen if they actually discovered uh, a crashed alien but i know that they wouldn't have taken it with um such a, a not an adult but but a a, a a yeah, an adult way of dealing with a problem and doing a very right caring thing. way. That's yeah, right, a very way. caring way. That's right. There was there was respect, and uh, regardless of where this 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 being was from, they afforded it a a dignity that you know they would reserve for all forms of life. You know what, Brett? I, I will have to go out on a limb here, and I will say that there are still places in America that I think that if an alien spacecraft crashed. Uh, the occupant would have, would be treated with the same kind of dignity. I still have hope in humanity, and I would think <laughs> there's places probably in backwoods Georgia someplace or someplace in North or South Carolina where they would afford the same type of respect. Oh, I, I agree. Well, they have to, Go ahead, yeah, I'm sorry. As long as, they, as long as they call the media instead of the military. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it, it's really fun. I just, I, you know, another another great kind of novel is is having the same thing happen down like in Kentucky or West Virginia, and it landing on like a still or something, and having yeah. the deal in the back end. You know, like these yeah. guys coming out. You, you just, you just, you killed my mom, my my marsh. Uh -huh. you know? like, Maybe that's how Jim Beam uh, originated. You never know. I mean, the whole religion. You never know. You know, you go to Utah and look what happened. He's walking in the woods. He's gay, he meets an alien, gets a golden book, and the next thing you know, you have a whole religion about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you got a whole new religion. So, so your next step, my friend, your next step, yes. while we have you on here for a few more yep, minutes. We've got about 10 more minutes left, and, yeah. and I, I apologize for being the time. I'm always a timekeeper, but I'm the guy that's recording everything and, that's and, right, and that's engineering right. everything. So, But, yes. but we, we, we have a checklist of, of, of about three or four things we have to go down, so you have <laughs> about three minutes for each. So, yes. my friend, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, somebody wants to buy your book, how can they do this? Well, they uh, go on Amazon. It's under uh, Traveler, uh, Carrie Trent Haggard, and Johnny Dale Cochran, or uh, look at uh, Phil's website, Flying Disc Press in England, and I'm sure there's a link there to buy it too. But the easiest way is just to go to Amazon and go to Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, Trent Haggard, and uh, it's readily available. Perfect, perfect. Now, you also mentioned that you're going to be at some rather exciting conferences. Yes. If, if our folks want to follow you around or if you're coming into their neck of the woods, how do they find out your conference schedule, sir? 
Well, the the one the main one I have so far is the Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, the big MUFON National that's coming up in July. I know I'm going to do that. I've already I'm already booked to do that. Uh, I'm definitely going to do the Philadelphia and the Pittsburgh shows in October, simply because I live in uh, Pennsylvania now. Mm-hmm. Um, above and beyond that, I, you know, I'm talking to the guys that are doing the uh, Devil's Tower, Wyoming. Uh, I don't know anything yet, um, so yeah, it could be hitting there. Well, well, do you have a website? No website. Uh, no, not as yet. We're we're working on one. See, what we're doing here is uh, we're doing a historical look at antique cars called Wheels of the Past. Yep. And so we've already filmed five episodes in the Pittsburgh area, and we're going to try to get cranked up again with that come spring. So uh, we're going to have a website called Wheels of the Past, but, uh, again, we're just in the formation stages of a lot of things. Well, you know, it's very interesting. We're talking about Wheels of the Past, and we're talking about technically Wheels of the Past for these crafts. If you think about a, it, a windmill, a it, windmill. A, 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 but I'm talking about the only mode of, you know, you got the wagoneers uh, in the back, right. but you also got the UFO, which is is the aliens' wheels. I mean, it could, you know, this 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 creature could have been out for a joyride, you know, taking Dad's UFO out for the night, and you know, hot rodding like Johnny would or or something, um, and they got caught. So, but I like the, the you know that you're doing the wheels of the past, and I definitely want. Do you know when the show will be available? No, uh, again, we filmed five episodes. We're uh, in the process of doing editing them now and putting a presentation reel together to sell it sometime next year. Uh, we also are uh, purchasing a uh, four-acre facility in Butler County, Pennsylvania, where we're going to do a car lot, and we're going to call it Wheels of the Past, where we buy, sell, trade, and uh, confine antique cars. And uh, so that's that's between that and this book. That's what I'm going to be working on for the rest of this year. Well, fantastic! There and Butler go. is one of my favorite places in uh, in Western Pennsylvania. I, I've done a lot of acting up in Butler, if I could toot my own horn. But Butler is also <laughs> the home of the Jeep, and it is also the home to uh, former professional wrestler Big John, uh, Big John Studd. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. So you have all that kind of stuff up there. See, in see, and and you know, Ron, you didn't you didn't give Kerry a little details into the Western PA UFO paranormal hotspot that it is. Oh my goodness! See, the thing is, Brian's going to have to get out here, and we're going to have to take you to a place called the Chestnut Ridge. I've actually written a book on that. There's been a movie made about it. Uh, it is called the Twilight Zone of Western Pennsylvania. A really strange place, and while you were experiencing UFOs down in Georgia in the 1970s, we were getting the same type of stuff up here as well, too, centralized in this particular area. So whenever you're a butler, you're only going to be about an hour and a half away from the Chestnut Ridge, so you'll be in striking distance now. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we'll have to bring you out sometime on the summertime uh, for an expedition. You might have another book in the works after that. Yep, and we can take oh, some of those. Oh, y'all. Y'all are just working me to death now. <laughs> We're not trying to work you to death. We're just looking at, at the, the, the many facets of, of, of combining the wheels of the past and the paranormal. I mean, if you're in the area, take, take a nice leisurely drive through some of the Chestnut Ridge. You may come across a werewolf. Uh, or a, a big, a big foot, what yep. have you? Yeah, that's right, that's right. We we have our, uh, you know, you can uh, come and go up here on uh, a lot of different cryptids and the unexplained. But I'll tell you what, 
we are glad that you're in our neck of the woods now, and I, and I hope I get a chance to meet you. I will certainly see you at the MUFON conference in Pittsburgh, uh, which I believe is in about October sometime. But hopefully, as I said, that Brian and I are going to be doing a lot of conferences as well. So hopefully our paths cross before, uh, that, uh, before the fall comes around. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm here to stay. And like I said, I'm going to be working on this uh, car lot and car show, trying to pull that together. And uh, my producer, he, uh, he feels like the book will help the antique car show and the antique car show will help the book. We're going to work in conjunction with each other because in the book itself, it's full of antique cars and trucks. That uh, Oh, yeah, I, I love, I love that, that mix in there that you yeah. did. Yeah, I wove that into the story as well because I have a real passion for antique cars. Well, you know, you awesome. know, another idea you can throw out there is when you get when you finally buy that lot where you're having the cars and you're selling the cars, you might want to put a little uh, uh, museum together and maybe put like a mock-up of uh, the little alien in, in the casket, like you you did in the book, which would be kind of interesting well, as see, a draw. Well, you know what? It's funny you said that because I just spent about a month this winter, uh, just after Christmas downstairs in the, uh, in the basement of our office building and, uh, built a handmade coffin and the alien, all those pictures that you see in the book of yes. the alien in the casket. That's the prop that I built. That's going to be oh. making the book signing tours with me. Well, that, that's, Oh, I can't wait, man. That's, that's going to be awesome. That is going to be awesome. You have to put that, not only take it with you, but Put whatever right there. I can see it right now when someone comes to the lot and they're like, where's the alien? Where's the alien? Like, he's in, you know, that old Ford or whatever. Just put him in there. Um, definitely in the advertising, too. I mean, you know, it. it there's nothing wrong with cross-marketing this whole thing here. I mean, it, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful piece that you have. You have you have two good, good products here and uh, definitely a, a, an amazing read with amazing old cars. It's a win-win. Well, thank you. I appreciate all the good words. I did put a lot of time and effort and heartfelt uh, imagination into this story. I wanted it to sound good. I wanted it to flow good. And most of all, I wanted it to be historically accurate, but yet at the same time entertaining. Because if it's not entertaining, nobody's going to care if it's accurate or not. Amen. Amen to that. I mean, I got to tell all the goblins out there, we are going to put all these links to this book from Amazon on Inside the Goblin Universe, our website. We're also going to put it on Inside the Goblin Universe, both the page on Facebook and on our group. And um, we're definitely going to you know, spread the word about this. It, it is a wonderful read. The summer's coming up. This is a great book. you got to pick it up. Um, you're just going to thoroughly love it. All right. Well, very good. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it very much. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you on here, sir. And and when you say uh, talk to Johnny next, just tell him that that amazing stuff he did. He, what a great job, as well. Yeah. All right, I will. I will. He'll be he'll be delighted to hear it. I'll send him a copy of this broadcast. Oh, that's going to be right, great, my friend. I think this yeah. is it. Yeah, thank you very much, my friend, for uh, joining us, stepping inside the Goblin Universe with us, and sharing a little bit of Aurora, Texas with our listeners and with Brian and I. It was a thoroughly enjoyable evening. I, I really had a fun time here tonight. So did I. I appreciate it, guys. I, I, I appreciate all your good words. Oh, no worries, no worries at all. So, Brian, I, I yes. guess it's that time to sign out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, it, 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 you know, it is, is almost that time. We've got like a minute or two left. And I got to tell you, I'm, I just want to tell everybody out there that 
Rhonda mentioned earlier, um, there is conference season. We've been talking about it for a while, and we are going to be at a lot of conferences. We're going to be trying to, pre uh, you know, presenting to a lot of people some interesting stuff that we've uh, been researching. Um, also, uh, I'm trying to get Mr. Murphy to come a little bit east, <laughs> and uh, you know, of, of course, we're looking forward to Ocean State, um, which it raises money for charity. But I also want to talk about, a little briefly. Uh, coming up on May 19th, um, heading over to the UFO Festival in Pine Bush. And for those of you who are listening, may be very familiar with Pine Bush for a book called Witness with Whitley Strieber, um, his neck of the woods. And we're going to be, uh, I, I'm going to tell you straight up, um, I'm going to be there presenting with uh, the group that I'm also with, Bronxville Paranormal Society. We're going to be doing uh, four different presentations in inside of the Paranormal Center and outside on a tent. And on top of that, we are going to be conducting with some of the biggest names in the paranormal and the UFO community. And I'm talking about very big names, like fire in the sky big names. Um, and we're going to do a CE5 right there. So it's, it's what looking the what, close what encounter explain? of the fifth kind where you're trying to get actually mentally in contact with an alien uh, 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 species um, and the aliens and drawing them into you and getting them to acknowledge um, a thought where you're connected with them, where you tell them, uh, can you blink the lights? And they blink the lights. Can you uh, go up and down? I mean, where we're actually communicating um, with an alien race. I, I, I would like to be a part of that, my friend. I would like to be a part of that. Well, I'm going to have to go to Western PA and kidnap you. <laughs> no, I'll be there. You no, know, no, no, if, no. If, if everything works out, I will be there, my yep. friend. It should be a very interesting evening, but I just wanted to say that while we have about uh, 50 seconds left. That's Sorry, right. I'm, I'm plugging, right. I'm tooting. But, and you know, it's great, Ron, with the new network, we're going to, you know, every time we go to a conference, we do interviews with all the people that are there, and we're going to be bringing that to the fans on Para, Parax Radio. So, guys, right, it's going right. to be a good summer. Yeah, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to, to, to see you again. I've only met you one time uh, in person so far, but it's going to be a good summer, and I'm looking forward to uh, our many adventures. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> we're going to get in trouble. Go ahead, sir. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, we'll have to save up bell money. But uh, all right. So, yeah, I guess that's it, guys. I will have to uh, bid adieu to everybody then now uh, for, uh, for, 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 for all the listeners out there inside the Goblin universe, all these little Goblin fr uh, fans and friends that we have. Uh, I will have to say adieu until next week. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. And I'm the other host, Sir Brian Booth. We'll see you next week inside the Goblin universe. On Vampires, the latest book from Ronald Murphy. Join cryptozoologist and folklorist Ronald Murphy as he journeys through history in his quest to uncover the impetus for the archetype of the vampire. Begin at the glare of cannibals and travel throughout the dawn of history exploring images and involving ideas of the vampire. Trace these concepts all the way to the information age. Keep a state close by. You're going to need it. On Vampires is now available at Amazon.com. Dive into the ancient mythologies found around the world and tread through nearly forgotten legends as the crypto guru Ronald Murphy sets sail on his quest for mermaids. Travel through history and wade through the vast expanses of time and space as the author seeks to uncover why these beguiling creatures are so pervasive in human culture. 
On Mermaids, an exploration of mermaid folklore from ancient origins to modern culture is now available at Amazon.com. And be sure to attend the lecture that accompanies this book at the Cryptozoological Conference hosted by Lauren Coleman in Portland, Maine, summer 2018. The concept of shape-shifting is ingrained on our psyche, lurking in our collective unconscious and stalking our nightmares. Crypto guru Ronald Murphy tracks the dogmen through history, beginning with the hunt in the dim beginnings of the human race and follows the tenuous tracks of the werewolf to the modern age. This compelling study seeks the monster in all of us, but more importantly shares the readers of the man behind the wolf. On Dogman is available on Amazon.com.